Hi, I'm Brilliant, your host for this show. I know that I'm incredibly blessed. As the son of self-made billionaires, I've seen the high price some people pay for success, and I've learned that money really can't buy happiness. But I've also had the good fortune to learn directly from many of the world's leading teachers. If you're ready to be, do, have, and give more, this podcast is for you. Hi, friends. Brilliant here. Today, my conversation is a short one. This with Sadhguru. He's a yogi, a mystic, an author, and so much more. He's written a book called Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy, a book that has changed my life. He's written another book called Death, An Inside Story. And his most recent book, the book I talked to him about in this interview, is Karma, A Yogi's Guide to Creating Your Destiny. And he's written many, many more books and done uh, a whole bunch more. He has spoken at prestigious conferences and forums around the globe, including at the United Nations, the House of Lords, Harvard, MIT, and the World Economic Forum. One of the things that I love so much about Sadhguru is that he is involved with and very concerned about not just spirituality, but human well-being, which means he's a humanitarian and he is also an environmentalist, someone who's deeply concerned with and doing something about the quality of the ecology on our planet today. I have had the good fortune to travel with Sadhguru, my wife and I, in India, in Tibet, in Nepal, and to visit his ashram here in the United States, which is located in Tennessee, the Isha Institute of Inner Sciences. So if you don't already know Sadhguru, uh, you must not be on social media. There's not many people I know who use social media more effectively to spread a message uh, than Sadhguru. But if for whatever reason you don't know him already, I hope that you get to know him through this interview, through what you find of him online, and ultimately someday of the chance to interact with him in person. With that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend, Sadhguru. Well, Sadhguru, welcome to the School for Good Living. Will you tell me, please, what is life about? It's about life. Life is a grand enough phenomena by itself. It need not be about anything. Those who do not experience the profoundness of what life is, they will invent other agendas for life, missions for life. And in the end, they give up that life can be really phenomenal here, and they will invent another place where things will be better, okay? <laughs> Essentially, all this is happening because of lack of profoundness of experience. If you experience life in its full profundity, it is too phenomenal that it has to be a means for something else. It is the means and the end by itself. Okay, thank you for that. So, you've written many books, and your most recent book is Karma, A Yogi's Guide to Crafting Your Destiny. Why did the world need this book? Why did you write it? And what do you hope it will do for its readers? See, a time has come in the world where people need to understand that everything that's happening to you, the way you're experiencing life, whether your life is joy or misery, whether you're in exuberance or suffering, is all entirely your making because human experience comes from within. But in pursuit of human well-being, for a long time we've looked up, thinking it's going to come from there. 
as we realize the planet is round and it's spinning, we should also realize we don't even know what is up. <laughs> Nobody knows what's <laughs> up or down in this cosmos. <laughs> Nowhere it's marked this side up, all right? So instead of looking up, slowly in 20th century, you started looking out in terms of well-being. When you looked up, variety of philosophies, ideologies, belief systems came up, which divided humanity, and we are still suffering for that. And when we started looking out for well-being, well, market economy came, and in one century, literally, we've ripped the planet apart, where <laughs> there is a question whether there will be enough for the future generations to live or not. We've come to that kind of a question mark, and it's no more somebody's figment of imagination, it's manifesting itself everywhere in so many different ways. So. All this in pursuit of human well-being, one looks heavenward, one looks outward, one thinks it's in God, another thinks it's in a marketplace. So most people have shifted from heaven to marketplace anyway. <laughs> They're not planning to go to heaven, they want to go shopping <laughs> in pursuit of their well-being. <laughs> so we need to understand if it comes to human well-being, in is the only way out, there is simply no other way. Because human experience, whether it's pain or pleasure, joy or misery, agony or ecstasy, only and only happens from within you. If you do not have any... any grasp over how human experience is generated from within, in pursuit of human well-being, in pursuit of human happiness, you destroying everything around you. If you are joyful by your own nature, you would do only what is needed, nothing more, nothing less. Right now, humanity is on fire, wanting to burn the planet down in pursuit of happiness. <laughs> and it's never ever going to happen like that. You go to an apple tree and start digging the ground because you're a potato farmer, what to do? One of the things is I've listened to you read the audiobook, which I'm really grateful that you read it. I think people who merely read the words on the page will be missing something if as if they listen to it, that they would gain <laughs> if they listen to it. But one of the things that you that you talk about is how a book can only transmit so much information, right? And that for some of maybe the more subtle or the deeper aspects of dealing with our karma, uh, Perhaps we need an initiation or s to work with the master or something like that. Well, you talk about what you see as the limits of what the written word can do and how you approach those in writing this book. Sir, written word can be a great source of inspiration. You can't be endlessly inspired. Inspiration is to instigate action. If you go on inspiring yourself, you will become a hot air balloon. This is what is happening to a lot of people who are going on reading about spirituality. All right, they become hot air balloons because they're talking about all kinds of rubbish, which is not in their experience. So, inspiration is fine, little bit of guidance is fine, but uh, if really something has to happen, it needs to be transmitted. If you want to do something significant with this life, in this lifetime, it's very important that you receive a certain powerful transmission which 
will set fire to certain things within you, which will make things happen in ways you have not imagined possible. But if you by reading books alone, you'll go going to get somewhere, no. By reading books, you could be significantly inspired that action will naturally come forth. All right, thank you. In a recent conversation, you were talking with me about soil, <laughs> about something that many people probably don't think a whole lot about. And we don't think about things when things are going well, we don't have to think about them, right? But why is soil an important thing for you to be thinking about at this time, an important thing for all of us to be thinking about? The very body that you carry is soil, all right. The tree that you see standing there is soil. The bear that walks this land is soil. Tell me one thing that is not soil, which is life. Everything is soil. So the quality of the soil will definitely determine the quality of life upon the planet. The strength of the soil, the richness of the soil will also determine how strong and how rich this life is. So what have we done to the soil? What we have done to the soil is this, that we have put it into an unnatural condition in the sense, soil, if you walk into the forest, soil is always regenerating itself because what grows up comes down and that gets once again recycled and again goes up and comes down. So in the form of animal, animal waste, animal bodies, in the form of tree litter that comes down, this is the way soil is regener regenerating itself. But today, we have left large patches of land upon the planet, very large, significant patches of land on the planet, either because of agriculture or urbanization, particularly because of agriculture, because agriculture has taken the maximum extent of land on the planet. Our idea of agriculture is mono-agriculture, which is monoculture, and uh, we have no animals on the farm because machines do all the work. There are no trees on the farm because uh, if you have a tree, it will eat up all your fertilizer. So, no trees, no animals. If you grow one ton of whatever, let's say you grow one ton of wheat or soya bean or something, you're literally taking out one ton of soil, topsoil. How will you put it back? So, on an average, it is estimated most lands, if you farm for somewhere like 40 to 45 years after that, desertification will set in. Soil will start turning into sand because all the topsoil goes away in the form of crop. So, this is happening across the world. In one place, it may be more serious than the other, but generally it is estimated by very responsible scientists that by 2045, 65% of the world's soil will be uncultivable. At the same time, they're predicting by 2050, our population will be something like 10.25 billion people. So, your population is expanding and your ability to go grow food is going down. Well, if that is your plan, all the best. You're, you're planning a disaster for yourself. You're planning a disaster for future generations of people. You're planning a disaster for an unborn, unborn child. You're planning a great disaster for an unborn child. You have no business to bring another life here, destroy all the possibilities of life, and then leave life here, human life. Mm -hmm. 
So the biodiversity loss because of this is so serious that in the last fifty years, sixty-six percent of vertebrate life has vanished, sixty-six percent. And nearly eighty percent of the biomass insects are gone. They're saying by the end of twenty-first century, it will become such that in terms of worm population, insect population and microbial population in the soil will be so diminished that literally you will not be able to grow a thing on this planet. So we are going there very rapidly. If we do something significant right now, in the next fifteen to twenty years, if we put back enough trees, if we put back enough animals on the land, and see that soil is regenerated and above all, biodiversity flourishes in the soil because soil is alive. See, the studies show that in southern Indian soil, particularly in tropical soil, if you take a handful of soil, there are over ten thousand species, species, not numbers, ten thousand species of life in one handful of soil. This is being diminished at a rate where it's literally Suicide. It's suicide. If you don't so talk about soil right now, if you do not do something about soil right now, it is the most irresponsible thing. Because I'm particularly talking about soil very strongly, because unfortunately civic issues are being projected as ecological issues, because nobody wants to address the real issues, because real issues take time, resource and money to produce results. So, when you combine the fact that human beings seem to not do a very good job of thinking long-term with the fact that many people feel powerless to make a difference, how do we make a difference as it relates to soil or any other large global issue like climate change or deforestation or overfishing or any of these things? There's many things that you mentioned. I'll add more. <laughs> there is air pollution, there is water pollution, there is climate change, there is overfishing, there are plastics in the ocean, many, many things, okay? There is multiple problems. All these problems created by just one or maximum two generations of people. People have lived here for a million years, but they didn't do anything like that. But these two generations of people are threatening the oceans <laughs> The planet, <laughs> the climate, can you believe this? But we have air conditioning. Yep. So, <laughs> so now uh, how to address this? See, this is why soil is important. See, suppose water pollution, let's say water pollution. Who is doing the water pollution? Largely industry, but much more by the agriculture. People don't recognize that because you can always hit industry, threaten them with closure and make money out of it. This is happening around the world, I'm sorry to say this. In the name of ecological activism, this is happening everywhere. They will... Uh, they will, uh, you know, go against an industry, of course they will pay up. If you go against agriculture, nobody's going to pay up, <laughs> all right? So nobody goes against the farmer. It is not an individual farmer's fault, it is the way we have taken the world's agriculture. One thing is it's all monoculture, 
Another thing is it is all fired by salts. You can, you can call it fertilizers, you're just throwing salts and salts. For the topsoil that is being taken away by every crop, there is no replacement of the topsoil. You cannot replace unless you have enough green litter from the trees and animal waste, you cannot replace, there is simply no way. What else is there? What other organic material is there to put it back? So, without making these changes, it won't happen. We can go into other problems, there is plastics in the ocean, there is air pollution in the cities. I'm telling you, if there is too much air pollution, if we... Anyway, this pandemic has done that to some extent to us, unfortunately. But if you turn off all the machines, everything that smokes in the world for three months, believe me, air will become like pristine, pure as it was a few hundred years ago. All the water pollution, industries with the proper laws if you enforce, within a year's time, all of it will be fixed. If you employ all the naval forces in the world, you can clean up the oceans in a matter of six months to twelve months. We are not doing those things. But soil, if it goes bad, as it is going bad right now, if desertification happens, it will take 150 to 200 years to turn back. For that, many of us, I would say out of the 7.6 billion population, if at least three to four billion of us die and get buried in the soil, we will make enough good manure and regeneration will happen. Yes, we will pay that kind of price. I'm not... I'm not a doomsayer, I'm a very optimistic person. But it is very, very important that now, in the next fifteen to twenty years, we take steps. Otherwise, if we don't do it consciously, nature will do it in a very cruel way. Okay. <clears throat> well, the last question that I have for you, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and ask about writing and creativity. And maybe the segue here is that every one of us knows things that other people don't know, right? We have lessons and experiences and insights, and sharing those really can make a difference in the world, right? So for those who listen to this show or who are watching this, who feel called to write, they want to share their message in a written, in a written form or in any other way, I suppose, what advice or encouragement do you give to those people? It, you don't have to necessarily listen to talks. If you learn to listen to everything, there is a lot in the universe. <laughs> I didn't listen to anybody. I did not read any scriptures or books. I just listen to every aspect of life. <laughs> okay. Well, Sadhguru, you have made such a difference in my life, and I'm grateful for what I've learned from you, the places you've taken me <laughs> or the things you've shown me <laughs> over the years. And I'm really grateful that you'd make time to have this conversation with me today. So thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the School for Good Living podcast. Before you take off, I just want to extend an invitation to you. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life still isn't working for many people. Whether it's here in the developed world where we deal with depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction, divorce, unfulfilling jobs or relationships that don't work, or in the developing world where so many people still don't have access to basic things like clean water or sanitation or healthcare or education, or they live in conflict zones, there are a lot of people on this planet that life 
isn't working very well for. If you're one of those people, or even if your life is working, but you have the sense that it could work better, consider signing up for the School for Good Living's Transformational Coaching Program. It's something I've designed to help you navigate the transitions that we all go through. Whether you've just graduated, or you've gone through a divorce, or you've gotten married, headed into retirement, starting a business, been married for a long time, whatever. No matter where you are in life, this nine-month program will give you the opportunity to go deep in every area of your life, to explore life's big questions, to create answers for yourself in a community of other growth-minded individuals. And it can help you get clarity and be accountable to realize more of your unrealized potential. It can also help you find and maintain motivation. In short, it's designed to help you live with greater health, happiness, and meaning so that you can be, do, have, and give more. Visit goodliving.com to learn more or to sign up today.